obsessive fear around, around rates rising is irrational in the current market. Hello, 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 everybody. This is another wealthy podcast. And today we are going to be talking about this wonderful little Delta stream, the variance, this, this COVID thing that's interrupting all of our lives. Um, today we have Peter Escher and we have Lewis Heaton or Louis Heaton, uh, King Louis, as I like to call him. Um, Peter, thanks for jumping on the show again today. I know that you are handling this uh it's a little bit harder for you than for other people because you've got three wonderful children that you're trying to homeschool um with great effect no no doubt and it's poignant that we're we're, we're talking about that because i think the question in all of our minds is well what does this delta variance mean for us for the sydney market for the australia market how does it impact property prices so you know, uh, let's talk about that today. Uh, Pete, can we start with you? What are you What are you seeing on the streets? What are you feeling, thinking? You know, what kind of an impact do you think this uh, COVID Delta virus is doing to the Australian property market? Let's Let's start there. Start with a big question. So, Dom, one hundred percent. I think as much as we think we've got it worse, we're actually quite blessed and quite lucky because I get to work with great people like you. Um, our business gets to continue online. We've had very minimal disruption, and I really feel for the people out there that are in the hospitality industry, that are in you know any industry that requires face-to-face interaction. Uh, not only do they probably have the same situation where they're at home and having to juggle everything else, but their livelihood has been shut off because this is a lockdown that we haven't really seen for a very long time in New South Wales. Our neighbours in in Victoria experienced it four times, uh, but this is probably as severe uh, as we've had it for a very long time. And so while, while we can let it get to us, I think it's also important to stand back at times. And if you're watching this and you have been affected, your job, your business, uh, whatever it is, your investments, if there's a little bit of concern, I think it's always good to stand back, take a deep breath um, and remind ourselves how, how thankful we are we are for what we have. And we've been talking a lot in the past couple of days and we've been in the trenches, um, but I want this uh, to be a little bit of a message of hope that we are working through it, we will come out of it and today will be a great discussion around the realities. We are not naive enough to think that there won't be any impacts. But one of the things that I'm really proud of, Dom, is when COVID first hit, you and I sat in our isolated office uh, in March 2019. And we had a recording just like this and we provided hope and we 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 bore the fruits of that hope. Um, over the past year or so in terms of our own investments. And so let's let's make this another opportunity to look forward um, and see where we go from here. Yeah, you're, you're right. It was at 20, March 2020, we were locked up in the office. There was one of you, me, and a couple of other people running around. And, you know, by the way, you're right. My heart goes out to everybody out there that can't work, that that. There's always a worse situation than yourself, right? And my heart goes out to all the people that are severely impacted, even with, you know, obviously the obvious health concerns as well. Some people have been hit by COVID in a very dramatic way. So this is no laughing matter. Um, With that being said, you know, in every situation, there is a silver lining, there is an opportunity and you can either take it and roll on your back and kind of just, I give up. Or you can work on the things that you can control. And, you know, I think our little business, this tiny little microcosm is a testament to that. We had clients that bought property in the peak of COVID when it was very, very scary. We didn't know what was going to happen. It was still very new. And those properties have, have, in some instances, made hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then even our little business, you know, it was just the two of us at that point in time. And now there's nearly 10. So, it's it's about... Sowing the seeds today 
for you know the the tree that you're going to pick the fruit from later. Louis, what do you think? What are you yeah. seeing on the streets? How how is this all sort of how's COVID impacting <coughs> us, and and how do you see it sort of unfolding? I think it's I think it's good to be optimistic. I think optimism is healthy. Um, I, I think having a positive attitude can go a long way. But at at the same time, I always like to ground myself and realize that there are people really being affected and that may not just be a job uh, lost sense or there may not just be you know uh, health concerning reasons but also mental health and and it does take a toll on people being you know locked inside for long periods of time and not seeing family members so again just reiterating on both of your points it is a it is a time that you know you want to send love and support to people that you, you know that need it in this time but with uh with the positiveness that i've tried to start with i think that the sentiment in the in the people around sydney is still there i think there's still hope as there should be because it is only a tiny a tiny portion of the year or a tiny portion of our time and our life that you know we've got to commit to something small for the for the greater cause and i do understand that but relating it back to the property market and and the business world i think that yes there is well, to to really start off, I don't know. We don't really know what what it's going to happen. Like, I, I can't be the the crystal magic ball and tell you that this is what this is what's going to happen, or this is what's going to be next, or you know, what are the what's the government going to do, or whether prices are going to run next, or whatnot. So it's good to say that I don't know. But from my looks, or from my understanding of of talking to clients every day, I th- I still think there is a a strong belief in the property market, and I think there is more of a an educated response from the the people of Sydney and the people of New South Wales and the people of Australia coming out of the back of the first wave of the pandemic that prices are still going to rise. Uh, the property market has the ability to be able to maintain its strength, but also at the same time that you know, it, 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 it's the short-term picture and I, I believe by the end of the year we'll be talking about, you know, uh, our long-term strategies again. Yeah, it, it's a very valid point that you've made on a couple of areas. One, the whole mental health mm. aspect. That's can't be understated how tough it is being locked up. I, I'm lucky because I've got people to share this space with. Some people don't. You know, they're by themselves and it'd be very, very difficult to keep your head up and so, you know, still put the gym gear on and do the Peloton classes like Peter is and and to eat healthy and, and to do all the healthy habits and watch, you know, uh, educational videos or masterclass and all that stuff, but hell, it gets hard. Um, and I think you're right in that it, it's, it is a bit easier this time because I feel like there, there's a, we kind of know We've gone through it once and we can kind of see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And mm. the early days feelings that I'm getting is that clients are still quite optimistic about real estate and the market mm. is still going very strong. You know, the, the people, are, houses are still set. So CoreLogic put out a, a, some, some statistics just a day ago, maybe it was this morning, where the... Um, Last week, the auction clearance rates are still at 76, 70% and there's, people aren't going to auctions, but they're still selling both before and at auction. And we're seeing that from all the property managers that we're talking to, rents are going up. The place, your place that you're renting, Louis, went up. I pumped up the rent at one of my res, uh, residential uh, flats for n- nearly a 10% price increase. So rents are starting to increase as well. And there doesn't seem to be a lack of demand still in this market. And these are short-term blips, albeit they suck, but I still feel quite positive mm. and optimistic about the residential real estate market. Peter, do you think do you do you see things changing? Do you do you see many are you seeing for all the people out there, Peter is very, very well read. I love having him on the show and just talking to him every day. I pick up something new. And I want to do a quick shout out. If you haven't already subscribed, look up Peter's um, Substack. What's it called, Pete? Yeah, it's a Substack publication that I publish every week. How do they look it up? What is it? Because I, I really love it. Every single week, you put out something insightful that's well-researched on the economy, on philosophy, on modern-day learnings and things. How, what is it? How can people find that? 
So, Dom, I write a weekly blog um, on Substack. Substack's a new platform where basically you can read a blog and you can also sign up. It lands in your inbox. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. I don't charge. I don't do it for money. I do it out of enjoyment. And I try to just touch on different investing ideas. So it's broad investing. Sometimes I talk about real estate. Like last week, I was talking about why I think now's a good time to be buying apartments. And sometimes I'll look at, for example, gold or whatever sort of on my mind that week, um, investment related. And um, this week, sort of flowing on into this conversation, I wrote a, a note about the pandemic, the impact of the Delta variant in particular. And, you know, what's really obvious when we have these lockdowns is how deflationary they are. So we, we, I was born in 1984 and since I was born, we've been living in a world where, um, you know, assets have been going up and we're used to things going up and economic activity and we're very fortunate not to have experienced any wars or any shocks, but that, this is the first opportunity in our lifetime where we've had this such disruption to everyday life and economic disruption. And you walk on the street and there's no cars. You go into the shopping centers and there's nobody there. And this is all deflationary. And what that means is that when you suck economic activity out, we live in a network, an economic network. So when I, when I take that hairdresser out and I say you cannot work for three weeks, four weeks or, 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 or two or three months, the, the, the value of that haircut um, isn't made up. If I say, Dom, you can't buy a lounge, uh, you can buy it in two months, you'll buy that lounge. Uh, but you're not going to have two haircuts uh, to make up for that missed haircut. You know, you're going to have one haircut. You're going to substitute um, dining out. You're not going to go and have 25 meals dining out because you couldn't dine out for, for three months. So these things are all deflationary. It sucks out of the economy. And we're very fortunate to live in an excellent country with excellent leaders on both sides of the political sphere, we have a fantastic system where when there are deflationary pressures in the economy, they step up to the table, they give grants, they give JobKeeper, they give what they can uh, from taxpayer money. It's not free money. It needs to come from somewhere, but they provide that. And we also have a very, very strong financial system that lowers interest rates, keeps rates low so that my mortgage repayments, my debt repayments, the pressure of this deflation is offset by these factors. So lockdowns have a deflationary impact, and I think you know Sydney is the game uh, of of Australian of the Australian economy. As much as my uh, my friends and colleagues won't want to hear that, um, Melbourne is a significant economy, and so too is Queensland. But I think Sydney is the soul of the Australian economy, particularly outside of mining and resources. And so when you have deflation and you have a shock in Sydney, it will reverberate into the rest of the country. Um, so I think what we need to see and what we will see is a proportionate response from government today or tomorrow to make sure that the economic deflationary impact is contained. And I'm hopeful that we'll get that. So I'm not losing sleep um, on that at the moment. And that's a really good point because... It's easy to feel scared or uncertain in a time or with a place where leadership isn't looking after you, where I feel <clears> like the government's quick to put their hand in their pocket and say, hey, it's 500 bucks a week or it's going to go up to 600. Um, you know, small businesses, here's an extra 10K roughly if, if we can show that your, your business has come off. And by no means do I say that this is a perfect system, but the response is pretty quick and the money is getting into people's pockets. and. I feel like as a landlord, they were helping me during certain times and, and the banks contributed when things became tough. You know, I jump into the comments on on our YouTube channel and, and I have a look at what people have to say. And there, some people are bringing up the fact that, you know, this is a bubble. The Australian, how could the, how could the property market keep on going what it is? We're, we're in a bubble. It's going to pop. It's going to be like, America in 2008 and 2009, like their credit crisis. And they they believe that without the proper, without just seeing uh, growth in income, how could we keep on seeing property prices grow? And 
there's a few things I want to say to that. And I also want you two guys to weigh in if, if you feel comfortable to have that conversation. But one, our economy and also our banks have shown themselves to be very different to the American economy and the American banks, where our banks were jumping in, they're very resilient, and they don't want to see our property market drop, and neither does the government. Would you agree there, Pete? Yeah, I think there are, there are two forces in the market at, at any one period of time. And there are two forces that drive markets, fee and greed. And the rational investor, the investors that do really, really well are able to stand back when there's a lot of fear and when there's a lot of greed and be sensible and to look through and say, these are temporary extremes and I don't want to be scared when there's maximum fear. I wanna take opportunity and I don't want to be caught up in the maximum greed. I want to be very, very careful and I want to be wise. And Don, what I think we saw in Australian real estate in the past maybe three to six months, particularly in the Sydney market, is greed coming back. Last year, there was absolute fear when you and I were talking and our friends were telling us about dumping their properties and we had a sensible approach and we said, no, this is a great time to buy. And we went on record and we put our you know, guts on the line and we were vindicated. And I think if there's any good that comes out of this for an investor is that some of the greed that was in the market that I was seeing in the past few months, I think and I hope will start to come out. And that's good. You want a market that's more level. You don't want a market where there's too much extreme fear about you know, bubbles and collapses and the things that you spoke about that people on YouTube tend to dwell on. YouTube's going to serve you videos. YouTube, Facebook, all these platforms are going to serve you videos based on what you're searching. And you're going to think that the world looks like the bubble that you choose to live in. Whatever extreme, if you're ultimate greed or your ultimate fear, you're going to see the world in that way. So I hope um, and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confident, Dom, that in the next three to six months, we're going to see greed come out of the market. And that's very new, good news for a sensible investor that wants to make a sensible long-term investment. Hey, Pete, I've got uh, a guy, he's he's on the fear side, right? And, and he's competing, he's going to be competing with the greed side. His one fear point was interest rates. And, and you spoke to me uh, recently on interest rates. Could you explain what you explained to me about his his biggest fear they're going to rise i'm going to be caught out and that's his that's his that's the only reason he's not buying at the moment and you had a really good opinion or a really good educated opinion on uh your your theory behind interest rates so louis i think it's a big fear that people have because depending on what stories they've grown up um, and heard people that have come from overseas have seen high rates mm. We haven't, right? You haven't, Dom hasn't, I haven't, because ever since we were born, interest rates have been collapsing. Mm. So if you've come from overseas and you've paid high high interest on debt, you're always conscious of interest rates going up. Um, if your parents have told you about the struggles that they had when they were trying to buy, we learn about money from those that are closest to us from a very young age. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which is a Robert Kiyosaki book, talks about the principles of money that he learned from two different, you know, uh, father figures in his life. And so you carry that through with your adult life. But I think if you stand back and you say, what's the situation at the moment? We have countries around the world that are loaded up with debt and they're having to go into debt because of the lockdowns that I said. There is a lot of deflationary pressure. Um, you know, happening in the economy. And so you need to give people this money and create debt. And 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 the, the, the cost of debt won't rise, Louis, mm. until you have a lot of inflation. Here is a chart. If you're watching this on YouTube, um, you will actually see what's been happening to interest rates, not just since we were born or since our parents' generation, but going back 700 years, interest rates have been declining, Louis. And so I'd encourage you to share this with that client of yours and say rates are in a downward spiral, interest rate expectations are being revised lower, not higher, and that fear, that obsessive fear around, around rates rising is irrational in the current market. And, and you know, this is, this is a really interesting point because 
if we know and understand that interest rates are going to continue to stay as they are stagnant or stay remain low, there is a lot of uh, pressure to stay low. And, and um, the RBA is putting out a lot of reports around this. They don't see it going any higher for the next for the foreseeable future. This then impacts our investment decisions. No, um, I hate to bring you back to that, but Pete, there's another interesting conversation you brought up in your Substack, and we've discussed this often. Going for a a strong yield now, yield is the play. Provided you go and find something with a good yield with income growth, and you're picking it in strategic markets, that's the win. I remember back in the day where you would be looking for commercial property to go and get a five or six percent rental yield, industrial properties, you know, you're looking, you're not accepting anything less than eight, nine or 10% where all of those yields have compressed significantly and you can find good residential property for less than half a million dollars and get a four and a half to 5% yield that will have income growth. So Mm. when you understand the bigger macroeconomics and you can see what's happening for the longer perspective, that should impact the way that you're thinking about your investment decisions. Definitely. So I think if you're looking for yield, you always have to look for yield relative to where the cost of money is. Mm. If you're borrowing at 10%, you need a 20% return or a 15% return. If you're borrowing at 2%, you have to be happy with a 4 or a 5% yield. You have to be over the moon. Not just happy, over the moon. And you can get that. You can get that in Sydney apartments. You can get that in Melbourne apartments. You can get that in houses in Brisbane at the moment. And that's why we have this conviction in our heart. And that's why we can, you know, with full confidence say that we believe in these investments that we're talking about because it's not just a fake yield. It's not a fluffy yield. You know, in Dubai, Dom, they sell you these apartments in the middle of the desert. A lot of it's beautiful. But they sell you these investments and they say 10% return, you know, guaranteed for two years um, because it's a hotel and, and they actually lease it back from you. But after those two years, guess what? You're out on your own and your yield goes from 10% to 2%. Uh, but in Australia, you don't have that. You have a genuine, real, non-fake, non-fluffed up yield. You can jump on realestateanddomain.com and say, what will this asset yield for what will a, a, a 600 grand apartment in sydney rent for or what will this house rent for and you know if you can get four or five percent and you can borrow money at two percent that is a great way to build long-term wealth i want to add to this because some clients are now jump online and then they're going to go and look for a pure yield play and they're going to end up in the middle of the bush or they're going to end up in far north queensland and they're going to be you know, 100 kilometers away from any metropolitan hub and that's not what we're saying right now. I just want to be very clear. What we're trying to say is that you can go and get a good yield, you know, 4 5% in major metropolitan hubs. You can get a beautiful piece of brand new real estate which will depreciate. It'll give you uh, your tax return or it'll give you some money back in tax um, and you're not going to have repair bills. Your tenants are going to turn over uh, infrequently or there's going to be a small delay between your tenants. Just a quick anecdote. So my property, I raised the rent $65 and it was vacant for four days. That's a little two-bedroom apartment in St. Peter's. So that's a good piece of real estate that keeps on performing well. And there are opportunities like that all over Sydney, all over Melbourne, all over Brisbane. You don't need to go into the middle of Central Australia or go do some crazy stuff to achieve a yield because at a certain point, the yield is uh, a metric to talk about the risk of the investment. And if the yield starts to get too high, you need to start asking yourself questions. If it's going into 6 7 8% for residential property, you need to ask yourself, what are the risks here? How long will it be vacant? Yeah. Will there be a valuation issue? What are the type of tenants that are going to be attracted <clears throat> to this property? Like what other issues will you have? And the other question which Pete brought up in our last show was, will the income keep on growing or will it stay at 500 bucks a week for the next 10 years? So there's an opportunity cost with that. Would you agree, Louis? Yeah, I think so. I came from a, um, a, a yield 
driven field and you know we were always told and 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 directed that the higher the yield the riskier the asset as you said dom so you know often or not in in industrial property or commercial property the higher the yield again you got shorter lease terms or it's it's something something you always got to look at it from the from the bigger picture and not just the simple number that something doesn't add up if if you're getting too high of yield look it might be a unicorn and it might work great that there i mean that's what everyone's looking for right but to to finish on what your point is, I think that if you look at a, the bank gives you the lowest yield of your money, you look at something with an extreme high yield of your money, the riskier it gets. And and from a scale from you know zero to four, I don't think anyone should be shying away or should be uh, overlooking or overseeing something that yields uh, in residential property now four and a half percent or or even or even four percent. Like there are some assets in Sydney. You know, inner city Sydney, some really, some really classy suburbs that yield two percent. Yeah, and, and we say this because they're probably going to grow a little bit faster than you know something yielding six percent, as you said, Dom, in, in you know forty five minutes north of Brisbane. But in saying that, I think that there are opportunities at the moment that are presenting themselves that the yields are sharpening, but I think the gap is closing, uh, closing between asset classes, so commercial and residential. I think that the the yield gap is closing, and I think it's actually now swaying in in uh, onto the side of residential real estate has more of a more of an appetite for a yield perspective over commercial, and that was never that was never the never the story. You know, you went for commercial assets for the yield purpose, or you know, for you know d- diversifying your portfolio and, and getting a better yield and better lease terms. But I think now, as we as the gap as the gap closes, I think uh, we should be looking at picking up more middle tier residential assets between that sort of five fifty to seven fifty region, new property to be adding it to the portfolio, which maybe five to six years ago wasn't ideal. So knowing all that we do know now and thinking about what we anticipate the government response is and the fact that, you know, in Sydney we're all locked up, if you're an investor in, at home and you've got your pile of money saved, what what's your message to them? What should they be thinking? What should they be doing mm. uh, leading into the next six months? Pete, can I add something first? <clears throat> yeah, sure. What happened? So we go. Let's let's look back a year's time. Let's go back to twenty uh, June or uh, June March April twenty twenty. Everybody didn't pull the trigger because of September this September deadline. So it was said this is when JobKeeper ends. This is when JobSeeker ends. This is when businesses are going to run out of money. This is when people are going to go broke. They're going to need to sell assets. This is when the world's going to end. And that's when the government stimulus set the deadline, and we all work towards this September date. So my question to you both is that there will be government stimulus or there will be government packages, support care, and and there already is online at the moment. There are, but I have no doubt in my mind they're going to attempt to bring in more to the market to, you know, to couple with the lockdown. Is it valid to say that from an investor's standpoint, which I already know my opinion and I know what you're both going to say, but can you please assure the investors out there that this is not – uh, a form, a time metric to sit on your investment. Say if the inv- say if the new the new government packages come out, and it is, uh, and we and the investor says, let's just wait till you know September this year or November this year till everything starts to go away, work begins to go back to normal. Do you think this is a a, a reasonable? Uh, a reasonable worry for investors to sit back on their investment, or they should be going for it now, knowing what we know what happened last year. Dom, you go first. I think, because I think yeah, we're going to have slightly different views, but you go first. Well, I think it's rational for someone to wait and see. Mm. Yeah. I think it's okay. If you don't know and you're scared, it's okay to wait and see. Um, there, It's a risk-reward scenario. The, the, the less, the more unknowns there are, the riskier it, it is, but the reward is greater. So the people that bought something before September, they reaped the rewards for taking that risk that the government would stop everything, right? Um, and the people that waited to after September, they missed out on the deals, but they had some assurity. They knew that money was coming in. The world wasn't going to fall over. So it just comes down to the risk appetite of the investor. You can wait and see. The longer you wait and see, the 
the, the, the more of the profits get squeezed out of the deal, right? But if you are adventurous and you're gung-ho and you've done your research and you've seen what governments and things have done in the past and you're confident, then take the risk. But again, investments are investments. It's Sometimes not everything goes to plan. Mm. You need to be very careful about making these decisions, especially if it's your first or your second time because this is all the money you have in the world. And if you um, screw it up, it's uh, very tough to come back or it takes time. What do you think, Pete? I think um, I always tell people don't rush. So usually, usually make mistakes when you rush. And rushing is not doing your homework. So jumping into something, particularly an investment, if you don't do your homework, things could you could make mistakes. But don't sit there and dwell on it. So if you've done your homework and it makes sense, don't delay just because out of fear or out of inaction. Um, that'll cost you money and you'll miss opportunities. So last year, a lot of people were worried about their jobs. If you had a family or even if you didn't have a family, right, if you had a fear over your ability to earn income in a pandemic, fair game. It's all very well for us to say, hey, you should have bought. But we were really talking to people that had the capacity and the confidence. We weren't really saying to people that were freaking out or on the edge, go and just jump in, right? If you're in a position to do so, do it because this is an opportunity. Um, And so I'll reiterate that point now. If you're in a position, if you've been on the sideline or you've been looking at a market that's been rampant and a lot of greed and you're ready and you sort of know what you want, the next few months will be an opportunity. If you've been hit, if you're a barber or a restaurateur or your business has been hit and your livelihood, take care of that first, right? Take care of that before you jump into an investment because if that, if the base is not, if the base is not comfortable, the rest is not going to fix itself. So get everything in order. So I think it really depends, Louis, to the audience that we're talking to and what your situation is. If, if you haven't been affected by this lockdown and you've been looking for an opportunity to, to get a good deal, you're not going to find bargains in this market because interest rates are down. But if you can get something with a 4% return today, I really believe that that will be a 3% return. Uh, in the future, and that means the value of your asset will go up by twenty five percent. When a when a when a yield goes from four percent to three percent, there's a twenty five percent appreciation. Um, so I think that's that's really important. That's a really really important point. And the reason why we like brand new property is because you can do it in a lot more of a sensible way. You can do your due diligence. You can sit down, run all the calculations. Um, rather than going to an auction and you've got an agent that's saying to you, hey, I've got 20 other buyers, you really need to come and bid. What's your highest offer? And that's a very, very difficult environment to to make a sound financial decision on. That's when you overpay uh, and and, and that's where you run into problems. But brand new property, you can sort of come in, um, do your homework, do all your cash flow, do your analysis. If it's pre-construction, you can wait until it's finished. Are there problems? Yeah, there's always problems. There's no such thing as a, as a free lunch. Um, there's pros and cons to each, but we think that this is a more sensible way to build a portfolio of long-term investments. And, and one thing that you said that's important there, Pete, is if you've been impacted, if your business has taken a hit, if your livelihood has taken a hit, and this is your only source of income, if this is your only means of creating or generating wealth for your family, then you need to have a look at diversifying your efforts and your energy. Mm. You, you do need to create a way to build wealth for yourself. You need to create another way to have stability in your, your household. So if you do have the means of buying some investments or an investment, this is a way to shore up your, your home or your household. So what, what I appreciate about these different shocks is it shows you where you're fragile. It shows you where you are weak. It shows you where you have vulnerabilities. And then you can choose to either ignore those vulnerabilities or you can acknowledge it, do something about it. And then next time a shock comes around, you're stronger, you're better equipped, and, and you can take the hits. 
So I think we kind of answered my question in going and having that conversation. So thanks for, uh, for asking it another way, Louis. My pleasure. Um, next question. This is the – I've got – I've got the a weekly toss-up. So this is for all of you listening out there where we we come up with two topics and, and we sort of, it's a this versus that. Now, the question is, should I renovate my house or my home versus buy another investment? Can we talk about the the pros and cons of renovating your own home versus going and buying another investment? Um, and we might start with Louis, if that's okay. <clears throat> okay. First of all, it can the the result or the the end goal in mind may be the direction you take. If if you want this home to be your forever home and you can see yourself living in it and not moving out of it for the next forty years, then I would say renovating is a, is a fantastic option. It's fun. It can be, you know, you can, you can DIY it. It can be an adventure. It can be a journey. You know, you can do it with your partner, uh, do it with your family. And if the end result is you staying there forever, and of course it, it can improve its value, but then I think it's something to consider. Now, on the flip side of the coin, if we were to say, should I renovate my own home to increase its value to then build, to help it my build my portfolio, I would say no, I'll pick up another asset. I don't think there is enough... Uh, up, uh, there is enough capital to be outlaid in a, in a period of time that can increase your increase your current assets value enough that can so go one for one or or punch for punch with buying another asset a new asset and watching that appreciate and then maybe even buying another one renovations I come I, I came from a trade background of young renovations if you were a tradie can work out perfectly and they can work out seamless and you can know people in the job, you know how much things cost. But if you're renovating, uh, be wary of if you're a renovator and, and you don't know what you're doing. And this not, this may not be any, you know, anything on your on your personal character, of course. But if you if you don't if you not have you don't have a trade background or uh, don't have a, a very close friend in the in the in the trade world, renovations can become costly and they can become costly quick. And as you probably will both know that, you know, buying an existing asset and, and you're finding something wrong with it and you, and you go ahead and do the do the fixes or do the whatever it needs to be done, capital can increase quickly and then you could be out of pocket ten to fifteen to $20,000 that may not have even put any, any value on the property itself. Because renovations can also, to, uh, to, to maybe a final point, renovations can be very particular to a one's appetite. So, you know, I may not like arched doorways and I may rem- I may remove all the arched doorways in my house and you may think that's modernizing or you may think that's appealing to someone else, but going ahead and looking someone else who might uh, might see value in your house might have really liked arched doorways. Whereas it, on the flip side of the coin, if we went ahead and invested in a in a new asset, uh, you know, diversifying our portfolio, maybe interstate, maybe something different that we already don't have, I feel like by doing so, it's going to create wealth or our portfolio and grow our portfolio faster. So to to my finishing my point, if we're renovating a house purely because we want to live in it and we see it as our dream house and and where it might be a holiday home, and we're putting a you know we're putting a, a pool out the back for our kids and our family. Please, that that's that's a fantastic option, and you definitely shouldn't shy away from it. If we're renovating to increase value in our portfolio or to do to try and create you know more wealth for ourselves i think i would look at picking up a new asset because it can be a very similar price if we're looking if we're comparing the amount of uh, renovation cost to a deposit amount i think that if it's you know hand in hand i would pick up a new asset yeah if you're spending 50 to 100k on a renovation or a new investment makes sense hmm. what do you think pete Renovation uh, or new, like what are the benefits, pros and cons, things you should think about if you are considering one or the other? I'll tell you how I think, right? And I'll give you a different perspective. A lot of people think Woolworths is a supermarket, but it's not. Woolworths is really a financing scheme. Why? Because Woolworths don't actually make any of the food or any of the products that you find in their stores. They go and buy the real estate, they go and develop it, 
Uh, they build the best supermarkets and neighborhoods so that it's hard for everybody else to build a supermarket. Then they own the asset. And instead of getting caught into the detail, going and making everything, they get everyone else to buy it, put it in their stores. When you and I walk into Woolworths, we pay straight away, but they pay their suppliers in three or four months. So my money sits with Woolworths for three or four months until they have to pay the guy that made the stuff that I bought. And this is an important concept because you have to look at the amount of investment and how you're using your money. Every one of us has finite resources. And so when I look at going and putting twenty dollars or $30,000 or $50,000 into a renovation, I need to have my Woolworths lens on. I need to say this twenty or fifty grand. How can I use it in a in the most efficient way? If you have, if you're very fortunate to have a lot of money that you can use without having to think or worry about investing, then go and become the the cupcake maker or the chocolate maker or the wine maker and do all that stuff. But if you've got finite resources, be inspired by Woolworths and think: Is it better for me to go and spend this money and use my labor in a renovation that will add value to my asset? Or, as Louis said, can I go and invest this in a new asset, derive a new stream of income, have exposure to more capital growth, and grow my portfolio? Agree with the both of you. It's 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 a per- if it's a personal preference, and if you're using your heart, and you don't need to make you don't want to make any additional money, go and do a renovation. If you've got a, a baby coming, makes sense. Uh, if you are a builder, home builder, or developer, and you're going to flip the house, it makes sense because there's certain tax advantages. But if you're looking to build wealth, I would, for me, it comes down to delayed gratification. So if you can delay the gratification, if you can delay trying to make this home your perfect home and you can put that money into another investment, put that 100K in an investment and get 80% leverage on your cash and maybe buy a $500,000 property that jumps by 10, 20, 30, 40%, the longer you can delay your gratification and you can make your money work harder for you by buying these different assets, then in 10 or 15 years from now, the the stupid renovation that you're thinking about putting a freestanding bath with gold faucets and, you know, the mosaic tiles or whatever the hell was in vogue 10 years ago will be completely irrelevant because you'll be buying a beautiful home that you actually want, not trying to make do with what you got. So it, it depends on your lens. They're both good options. I'm not going to tell you to go one way or the other. But if you are behind trying to make money, buy more investments, I think. So that was a good little this versus that uh, segment. And then one last question. We've got another question from some of our clients. So again, thank you to all of you out there. We appreciate you sending through your questions. Um, you know, Jenny asked them on our Instagram and Facebook and, and YouTube. So keep sending us questions. We really appreciate it. Um, Ken from Sydney has asked, I'm 27 years old. Uh, I have an 80K deposit and this is my first investment. What type of property and where would you recommend me to invest? So, Ken, this isn't financial advice. Um, There's lots and lots of different ways that you can do this. Uh, Shall we start with Peter today? What would you say to Ken? 100K, 27, first investment. What, what would you be thinking about or what would, what's immediately come to the top of your mind? Was it 80 or 100K? And I'll tell you why that's important. Oh, sorry, it's 80K, 80K, my bad, 80K. Right, cool. uh, the reason why I ask, so that might be something trivial, but I think a lot of people that have a 100K deposit get stuck uh, and I think 100K isn't a good deposit to have because what happens is it takes you a long time to save 100K And when you have it, you don't want to get let go of it. And you actually think that you can afford more than what you can really afford. So people that have 100K want to go and buy a million-dollar place, right? And so their expectations take them out of where they should be looking into a bracket that's highly competitive and it's a rat race and you get stuck. Someone that's got 50, 60K feels like they can't actually invest. They don't have enough. And so when you present an opportunity to them, They are more grateful, they stick to their lane, they are more focused, they are caught less in the rat race. 
80 is probably a, a, a desirable because you have a little bit more firepower than your 50 or 60. So I would say buy something small, start small, think big, keep growing. That's what it says on the wall behind Louis. And there's no problem with, um, there you go. And there's no problem with buying an investment that's four to $500,000, major metropolitan city, buy something that's uh, brand new because you have depreciation. You're 27 years old. Um, sorry, Ken, but you're probably going to be working for the next 50 years paying tax. Uh, and so you want to get you know tax-effective investments under your belt as soon as possible. And brand new real estate gives you that. And um, it'll give you a good platform to continue uh, building investments. So that'll be my advice to Ken. Good advice. What do you think, Louis? Uh, yeah, I think honestly, uh, I'm probably going to just sound like a, uh, a repeating uh, a, a repeating bird of what Pete said, but I would say the exact same thing. And I think that the the 80k range, I, I do believe you're still going to be. So don't be don't be don't get shy when you're investing in the same price range as a 40 or a 50k investor. But to start off, you, you're still going to have that forty thousand to forty-five to fifty thousand dollar deposit. But we're going to give you a nice buffering room. So there's going to be enough room for stamp duty. You know, it, you never know. Uh, we do try and uh, minimize, you know, valuation risk and and a few other upfront capital things that happen when we're buying property. But you know, that leaves us a, a good little sum of money to pay stamp duty. It can pay our conveyancing fees. It can pay anything else that, you know, that we encounter in the process without, you know, without really crippling us too bad in our lifestyle. So I would say pick up something, again, brand new. I would pick up something. I wouldn't be... Don't be, uh, don't you know? Get disheartened if it is a that if it is an apartment and you're dreaming for a house. Don't be disheartened if it is a house a little further out, but you're dreaming for a two-story house close to the CBD. But I would pick up something brand new. I would look at the asset uh, price range of say four fifty to maybe five fifty, and I'd either go for a boutique apartment development, say. Uh, in a radius of, of 15 kilometers to a, a metropolitan CBD, Brisbane, uh, Brisbane, Canberra, Sid, uh, Sydney, or Melbourne, or I would pick up a nice family home, brand new. That's in a, that's got a perimeter maybe or a proximity to the CBD of about 35 to 40 minutes. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, Ken, I'm going to reiterate some of the points that these guys are saying. I think that if you're living, if you're living whatever state you're living in, if it's in Sydney or Melbourne or whatever, if you can buy something in your own state and you can avoid paying your, your stamp duty, that's a really good way for, for your first home. You know, live in it for six months, bite the bullet, rent it out with your, I mean, live in there with your friends or whatever you can do. Um, and, and without paying stamp duty, that's a huge incentive. So if you can do that, that's great. Um, if you're living in Sydney, I think you can go and pick up a nice, sort of two bedroom for 650 to 700k and if it's off the plan you've got a bit of time to keep on saving to increase that cash flow buffer and you're going to save 25 to 30k in stamp duty uh if you don't want to do that you don't want an apartment then i'm afraid you're going to have to go to one of the other states i'd probably be looking at brisbane or melbourne i'd be as louis said spend you know less than half a million dollars and go and tick over, get a three and a half, four to four and a half percent yield and put it into the portfolio. Depending on how aggressive or not you are, you can go and work with your mortgage broker to pay down that debt as fast as possible or just keep on adding to that debt with that sort of interest-only repayment scheme. So lots of different ways you can cut this up, lots and lots of options. Um, and I just have to say that if you want a more tailored plan, come to us specifically and we will work you through the different options. We will show you the cash flows. We will show you the projections and you can make that educated decision for yourself. Thank you for your question, Ken. Fellas, good responses. And look, we've, I've taken up a lot of your time today. So thank you very much for uh, all your, your, your tidbits. But any final tips, predictions? What have you got to say to our clients, family, friends that are all listening to us out there? I think... First of all, everyone stay safe and healthy and happy. Um, times are tough, and, and we don't want to be the 
we don't want to sound like we're coming from a place of uh, happy clappy and everything's all good and everything's um, all well and all well and truly working because you know for us I wake up every day and I've got a job that I can go to I've got a house and I, and I've got an income and I've got food and water and you know and I can I can chat to my family and friends when I want I, I know I'm uh, you know I'm probably luckier than uh, than some some portion of the population in New South Wales right now and in all other states who are affected worse. So instead of mine being a property tip this week, I would suggest I've been telling uh, some close people to me, I think that uh, to stay happy in a lockdown, I don't think it comes from one thing. I don't think it comes from taking up a hobby or going for a walk. I think it comes from ticking 10 smaller boxes and these 10 smaller boxes might be, you know, drinking water, eating healthy, going for a walk, getting a coffee, speaking to friends or family. But if we if we try and tick off uh, as many things as we can during the lockdown, I think that, you know, over a period of time, it's going to keep us sane. Great advice. I love the little things. Make your bed. Exactly Little right. things. Yeah. Li- the little wins. Yeah. Pete, what about you? Uh, first and foremost, I want to remind people that if you're still listening to the podcast by now, we really want you to subscribe. Uh, mm. So if you're driving in your car or if you're going for a, um, a, a lockdown exercise, um, hit subscribe um, on whatever platform that you're listening to. Um, if you love what you're, we're telling you, uh, there's plenty more to come. So give us uh, a little bit of a review, particularly on Apple Podcasts. Let's, let's um, mess around their algorithm. Um, and get them to rank us higher. Um, that'll just give us um, more encouragement and more firepower to continue doing these things. Um, and I can't really add more than what Louis already said. Beautiful words. And I think, um, Louis, you, you look really good. Uh, you're sitting in an environment surrounded by blue and, you know, your, your colour and your demeanour. And, you know, for us as, as leaders and, and founders, um, we, we see a lot of happiness mm-hmm. uh, when you know, you're happy and you're saying things like that. So I'm content. I'm happy. Um, I'm glad that some of the greed that was in the market there is going to come out, I hope. Um, and if it's not, then I'm going to remain cautious and I'm going to wait till the time is right. Um, there are some great investments at the moment that we can be making and I'm personally making myself. And um, we'll come out of this. Uh, the future is bright. And there's always light at the end of the tunnel. So while all the other things today are telling you about how bad the situation is and, you know, how bad things are, um, hopefully this can be something different for you and a source of encouragement. Hang in there. And, Louis, um, I want to give you a little fist pump through through the camera for, for what you said. So that. Love it. Yeah. I, I don't have to say too much more than what the guys <laughs> are saying. We just want to say, Sam, get better. Um, and look, I'll just give you my quick chicken soup tip. Get a whole carcass. You can chop it up, <laughs> toss it in a boiling water. You need some celery, carrots, a little bit of veggies, bring it to a simmer, and then you just toss in some pastina. That's mum's secret recipe. That'll take care of you. So all of you eat well, do your exercise, and all the little things that, that Louis is saying. Thank you for, you, for your, your, your support. We really, really appreciate it. Send your questions in. Have a lovely, lovely week and we'll catch you next week. Catch you all later. See you guys.